Our reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 12. It's on page 1139 of our church Bibles. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now Colin is going to come and speak. Good morning, everyone. Pastor's asked me today to talk on the theme of serving, carrying on from the theme of generosity that he talked about last week. And this is a topic that's really very close to my heart. As some of you know, I work for the Bishop of Winchester, and part of my role is to support parishes with the nuts and bolts of church life. Governance, finance, stewardship, procurement, safeguarding, really all the exciting and glamorous stuff, basically. And that means I have the real privilege of getting to go around and visit volunteers and clergy in a whole range of different churches. And I am humbled on a daily basis by the huge levels of generosity and sacrifice that I witness in every church I go to. The giving in terms of money, but also in terms of time, of talents, of expertise. And over the 13 years or so that I've worked for the Church of England, the one thing I've learnt is that the church isn't run by the bishops, much as they might like to believe it is. It's not run by parish clergy like pads, and it's certainly not run by people like me sat in a diocesan office somewhere. The church is run by the volunteers, the army of volunteers that make up every church across this country, people giving up their time to help serve Christ, serve church, and serve their community. So I want to spend the next 15 minutes or so just exploring the theme of serving and why I believe it is so fundamentally important. But before that, 
I'd like to start with a short history lesson. I love history. Um, that's why I married a history teacher. Um, and given that our reading today was from Romans, I thought it was appropriate that we have a history lesson on the Roman army. Is this going to work for me? No. Pull it towards me. Ah, there we go. I did listen. <laughs> so, in particular, I'd like to look today at the origins of the word allies. Because the word allies comes from the Latin ale. Don't worry, it's not going to get that technical. Ale in Latin means the wings. Not the wings of a dove, but the wings of a battle line. So here you go, that's a picture of a standard Roman battle line. In the centre you have your infantry, your foot soldiers. And then on the wings are the cavalry, the mounted soldiers who are there to protect your flanks. The problem was, Roman cavalry were useless. They kept galloping off at the wrong moment on historic, major, dramatic charges and then falling off their horses. It was a real problem for the army. And as they started to expand and grow the empire and they met new types of enemy it became a really big problem for them. So what was their solution? It was very simple. They adopted the cavalry of their neighbours, of their friends, of the people they'd recently conquered. So very quickly, Roman battle lines, the cavalry, the Arle, were made up entirely of non-Romans. The Arle became the allies. So really, the word allies means finding friends, finding others who can do things that you can't who've got different skills, different experiences, better suited to the task than your own. People who can fill the gaps in your battle line. Now, if that's true for the Roman army, I think it has to be true for St. Matthew's Church as well. At work, I get to read a lot of parish profiles. These are basically the documents a church puts together when they're looking for a new vicar. And they put in basically a job description, a wish list of what they want their new vicar to be. And there's a bit of a common theme that comes out. Usually the parish wants their new vicar to be someone who can preach like the archbishop. They've got to be a world-renowned theologian, an excellent administrator with financial acumen, a strategic thinker, but someone who cares about each and every individual. Someone who is brilliant at youth work, but also fantastic at working with older people. And, of course, the most important quality of all, the ability to fit about a month's worth of work into six days. Now, when you read those profiles, you start to get a bit worried because you think, is that church family hoping that there's going to be a vicar who come along and just do it all for them? And, of course, no church can survive simply on the work and ministry of one person, of one minister, and nor should they. We are a group of allies. We're a church family, and we've got a massive range of skills and experience that between us means we can achieve far more than we could by ourselves. Last week during the service, I did a quick count-up of all the different roles and people that were needed just to keep the normal Sunday service going. And the sides people, AV, PA team, prayer ministry, kids' church, GAP, tea and coffee service, readers, intercessors, all the other people I've forgotten. And when you start adding it all up, very quickly you get to about 15 or 20 different people. And of course, that's just for what we do on a Sunday morning. It doesn't um, account for all the other things that happen throughout the week here at St. Matthew's, both within the church and out in the community. When you start looking at all the different ways people in this church help out, sacrifice their time, use their gifts and skills to serve, it's pretty impressive. I think it's something we really should be celebrating as a church family. Now, I know what you're probably all thinking. You've worked out that this is one of those sermons. 
One of those sermons where the person at the start tries to guilt trip you into volunteering to join 17 additional rotors and committing to clean the vestry twice a week for the next five years. Well, that is part of it. (laughs) Have you seen the vestry? Um, There's so much we want to do at St Matthew's and it does take time and people to achieve it. But actually for me, the call to serve, to be generous with our time, is a spiritual discipline not just a practical necessity. And it's one that I've struggled with over the years. I love that reading we heard earlier. I was so pleased when I saw it was the one chosen for today. That analogy that we are all one body but with different parts and our gifts differ according to what God has given us. That's been really important to me over the years. When I was younger and I used to go to church, I always felt slightly irrelevant. I had nothing to offer. I would turn up every week, but often felt like little more than a spectator. I was there in the audience. I never felt confident enough to lead the prayers or intercessions. The idea of helping out with a youth group filled me with absolute terror. And then I'd look at the people who would lead music and worship with complete awe. So I still remember when I heard a sermon at university on Romans 12, that knowledge that everyone has a gift they can use, a part they can play. So I stopped thinking that I needed to be an incredible musician or an amazing evangelist in order to have worth or value in the church. God loved me for who I was. He didn't want me to be something I wasn't or someone I wasn't. He wanted me to be myself. He wanted me to be the person he had created me to be and use those skills and gifts he had given me to use to serve him, to worship him. So rather than worrying about all the roles I couldn't do, I sat down and worked out at what I I could do, what I was good at. And that was organisation, administration. I worked out I was very, very good at going to meetings. And once you've worked that out, then a career in the Church of England is really the only option for you. (laughs) They might not be the most glamorous jobs, but they are still important and fundamental to what we do. There's a lovely story I'm sure you've all heard many times before. President Kennedy visits NASA, sees a janitor in the hallway and says, what are you doing here? What do you do here? And the janitor turns around and says, I'm helping to put a man on the moon, sir. I think that's been one of the most important lessons in my own journey with God, realising that whatever we can do, if we do it to serve God, it's still an act of worship. However we are called to serve, it all matters equally to God. We are all helping to put a man on the moon. We are all helping to further God's kingdom and grow his church. So just because we can't play the guitar or are slightly terrified by kids' church doesn't mean we aren't able to contribute. Whether we can give an hour a year or an hour a week doesn't matter. We are still giving. We are still contributing to serve God. As Paul states in verses 7 and 8, if your gift is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. He doesn't say, if your gift is teaching, you should probably retrain as an accountant because we've got enough teachers. No, we should teach, lead, serve, whatever our gifts are. And in my experience, God doesn't just give us these gifts and then step back, say, there you go, up to you now. He keeps checking, making sure we're going to use them. I think he's a bit like an overly enthusiastic grandparent who's given their grandchild a gift token for Christmas and then rings them up every single day saying, have you spent it yet? Have you spent it? What did you buy? No, I don't like shopping. Go away. (laughs) And it's not because he's trying to make us feel guilty. It's because he knows that if we spend that gift token, our lives will be much better because of it. 
However, we also need to remember that offering our time is a sacrifice to him. I'd like to all imagine something for me. Next week, Richard Branson turns up to our Sunday morning service, and he loves what he sees. He's so impressed by it that at the end he feels inspired to stand up and say, from now on, I've decided that I'm going to use all my wealth, all my connections, all my influence to help make St. Matthew's even better than it already is. I'm going to make sure that you have the best possible people in every role helping out here. So from next week, Mary Berry will be serving tea and cake after the service. Alan Titchmarsh will come in twice a week to cut the grass, and we'll have Steven Spielberg looking after the AV desk. What would happen? Would we all stop giving up our time? Would we all think, phew, someone else is doing it, I can relax? Or would we still want to volunteer? Would we still have that need to give of our time, to use the gifts we've got to serve our church and serve our community? So I've got a bit behind there. Because whilst, yes, we serve to respond to a need, and yes, we serve because it's good for us personally to use our God-given gifts, we must also remember that by serving, by giving our time, we are responding in some small way to all that God has given us. So even if the practical necessity disappears, we still need to be generous. Whether that's here at St. Matthew's, out in the community, another charity, another church, with friends, family, relatives, whatever it may be, we need to be generous. Pad spoke last week about how our wallet is often the last part of us to be converted. Well, for me, I actually think it was probably my diary, my calendar, that was the last part to be converted. Bizarrely, I find it much easier to give away my money than I do to give away my time, possibly because I hate shopping. But, of course, even that sentence is wrong. Talking about my time, my money, ignores the fact that everything I have, everything I am, comes from God. All things come from you, and of your own do we give you as we pray. One of the tools that I found very useful personally in understanding issues around generosity and giving is this. It's known as the six steps in Christian giving, whether that's talking about money or time or whatever it may be. Personally, I've moved up and down these steps many, many times in my life, so there's no right or wrong place to be here. But it's just a useful way of summarising how we all think about our giving to the church. So the first step is survival. I like the church being there. I might need it sometime. So occasionally I'll help out to make sure it doesn't close. Supermarket. There are some things that I value about the church, other bits that I don't. I'll help out with the bits I like and ignore the rest. Support. Church is nice. I respect its values. I respect what it does. I support it. Subscription. I'm a member of the church, so I pay my membership fee and I help out where I can with my fair share of the work. Submission. As a disciple, I put God first in my life, first with my time, first with my money. It's not about my fair share. It's not about the need. It's about God. Finally, number six, sacrifice. I give of my time because it's what I'm called to do giving in response to all that Christ has done for me, giving so I genuinely notice the impact on my own life, giving joyfully but giving sacrificially.
Maybe take a moment to think about where you would see yourself on those steps. No need to share it. What might help you move up a level? What might that look like? What difference might it make? So, in conclusion, I think for me there are three reasons why we should serve and be generous with our time. First, there is a practical need. We need volunteers to help keep things running and to grow our mission and ministry. We need that breadth of knowledge and experiences to grow. We need all our allies for mission. Second, we should serve to ensure that we are actually using the gifts given to us by God to help understand his call on our life, to be more fully who we are. And finally, we should serve as a response to all that Christ has done for us. We should offer up our time as a sacrifice, as a form of worship to him. So if there are things that you feel you might be able to get involved with, areas you've been thinking about for a while that that's something I could do, please do maybe talk to Pads or Kirsty or have a look at the leaflets you've got given as you've come in today which spell out all the different areas and ways people can help out in the church. Or if, like I was some years back, you're still not quite sure where your role is, what your gifts are, why not go up for prayer at the end with the prayer ministry team and ask for some guidance and wisdom on that? Let's close with a short prayer. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you that we are one body in you with many parts. And we pray that we will be able to offer our bodies and our time as a holy sacrifice to you in the knowledge that your plans for us are good and pleasing and perfect. Amen.